0: This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Of all the passages of scripture read at Christmas, this has to be the most famous, the most familiar. And of all the individual Bible verses out there about Christmas, This has to be the most famous verse. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And in the most famous verse, the most famous passage, there's the most famous Christmas word, peace. What's Christmas all about? You see it all the time on Christmas cards. I've got them in my house. If I look hard enough, I'll find them in yours. Peace, peace on earth. And every Christmas, everybody seems to make a a beeline for this passage. Christmas is about peace on earth. It's amazing. Everybody seems to know that. But what is this peace? When Jesus was born, he was born to bring this peace. That's what the angels are saying. But what is it? What did he come to bring? Now, Christmas time I've noticed devotionals, sermons, talks, other things are designed mostly for the emotions. I do this too, but most people seem to do it. Others do seem to do it as well. If if you have to deliver some kind of talk or Christmas message, you choose certain words that are evocative of feelings. They create a mood. My objective today is not to create a mood, but to be clear. I want to be clear. What do these verses mean? When the gospel writer Luke decided he wanted to tell us about this story, how did he understand it? How did Jesus himself understand his own peace purpose in coming into the world? What is the peace on earth Jesus was born to bring? Now, I think if we're absolutely clear, here's what we're going to find we're going to find that this truth is a bit uncomfortable. So I'm going to let Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life and Will Ferrell and the Cotton Headed Ninny Muggins and Kay Jewelers and Lexus give you all the warm fuzzies that you want this year. I'm just going to try to be clear. So if we're after clarity, you always have to start with what something isn't. So let's think about it. Peace on earth, what it isn't. First, peace on earth isn't political or international peace. The peace on earth that Jesus was born to bring is not political or international peace. Now, there are people out there who argue that Christianity has made the world a more peaceful place, a more humane place, a safer place. And there are people who would strenuously argue that Christianity has not, the, not made the world a more peaceful place. Regardless of what your assessment would be, I think we can all agree That over the past 200 years in particular, there has been tremendous bloodshed. There have been been wars everywhere. The bloodshed during the 20th century and wars alone was worse than all the other centuries combined. So if Luke and the angels meant that peace on earth was political and international peace, that Jesus was born to get rid of war and disaster and oppression, well then we probably have a right to turn to Jesus and say, look, Jesus, you and your followers have been here for 2,000 years and the message has been out for 2,000 years and it hasn't worked. But that's not what the New Testament is teaching us. Jesus wasn't born to wipe out war. He wasn't. Why do I say that? Later in the same book, Luke's Gospel Chapter 21, Jesus himself says to his disciples, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be wars and rumors of wars. These things must happen. So right there, you got it. Jesus is saying you should never expect warfare to cease. In fact, he's saying something quite contrary to that. He says you can expect things to get worse. Don't expect international peace. Don't expect political peace. Don't expect world peace to be the result of my birth. Now, that doesn't mean Christians don't work for peace. That doesn't mean Christians don't work for peace between individuals and nations. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus says, Christians work to make peace. But what we see here is that the peace on earth that the angels are talking about, the angels are announcing that Luke is deciding to record for us is not primarily political or international peace. Jesus says, never expect that. So many people have heard that, they've realized that, and they've been disappointed. Disappointed that Christ's coming hasn't got rid of war and they have said to themselves, okay, well, maybe it's not political peace. Maybe it's not international peace. Maybe the peace that Jesus came to bring is is spiritual peace. And what they mean by that usually is that Jesus Christ comes to give you an internal equilibrium, a perfect poise, a, a placidity of spirit, If we have Jesus's peace, we have that kind of peace, then we'll be able to get along and we'll be able to face the world. It's not political peace, it's not international peace, but it's a a psychological peace or an internal peace. I don't think that's what peace on earth means either. Again, later in the same book, and frankly, I don't know why this passage isn't read every Christmas. Later in the same book, Luke's Gospel. I don't know why this passage is not read every Christmas. This is what Jesus said. I have come to bring fire on the earth. I don't know why I don't want read that one. We don't read that one. Jesus said, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Jesus says, if I come into your life, there's going to be disturbance. You're not going to have this wonderful placidity all the time. You're going to find that people you used to get along with, you won't get along with anymore. Father against son, mother against daughter. There'll be conflict. I came to bring fire on the earth. There will be people mad at you. There will be disturbance. In fact, you'll have to say things that make people upset. Now let me be clear. Doesn't the Bible say there's an internal peace that Christianity brings? Doesn't the Apostle Paul say the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds? Of course. But Jesus is saying that that peace is going to be a relative peace. It's gonna be subject to ebbs and flows Because when Jesus breaks into your life, there's gonna be a tremendous amount of disturbance and conflict. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, things get messy. That's what he's saying. So the peace on earth Jesus is talking about is not psychological peace. It's not internal peace. But the text does say Jesus came to bring peace on earth. That's what it says. It's concrete. This is not pie in the sky kind of stuff. This is something you get now. Here on earth, well then, what is it? What is the peace on earth? Now surely some of you who read it in the New International Version, something didn't click for you. Because it reads, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now you think, well, wait a minute. Now growing up, I remember it saying, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Isn't that what you always heard? That's the way it goes in Charlie Brown. I'm sure they've got it Right? Well, that translation comes from the King James translation. Now, my gift to you this Christmas is a Greek lesson. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. (laughs) Virtually all translators today acknowledge the translators of the King James Version in the 1600s took that Greek word translated goodwill and translated it as an accusative rather than a genitive. I won't get into that right now. You're welcome. <laughs> but what it means is that instead of being translated goodwill toward men, it should be translated peace toward men to whom God has goodwill. Peace towards those on whom his favor rests. Here's what it's saying bottom line it's saying there was ill will. There was ill will. And now with some people, there is goodwill. And what Luke is getting at, what the angels are getting at, the peace that we're talking about here is not a peace between human beings or a peace within us. It's a peace between God and us. Let me put it in a way that's simple, profound, and you'll remember it. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We just sang it. Great hymn, Charles Wesley. Beautiful line. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners... Reconciled. There it is. There it is. God and sinners reconciled. What is the peace on earth? It's God and sinners at war, now at peace. Reconciled. That's the peace you really need. And this peace is absolute, objective. Perfect, not subject to degrees, not subject to ebbing and flowing. And it's something you have to receive on earth. You can't receive it later. It's peace on earth. You have to receive it on earth. You can't receive it later. Let me show you a couple of verses that talk about this. Colossians 1. Look at this. Once you, that's you, that's me, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you see it? This is peace with God now on earth. It's not subject to degrees without blemish. You can't get any more blemish free than without blemish. Here's another one, Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. When? Now, on earth. This peace with God is absolute, objective, and perfect. And it's something you have to receive on earth because you can't receive it later. So let me pause briefly and ask the obvious question Are you and God at peace? Have you been reconciled to God? How do you receive this peace? It's the best question you could ask. How do you have peace with God? Listen, the real secret, very simple the real secret to having peace with God is you've got to admit you're at war. The real secret to having peace with God is you've got to admit that you're at war. You've got to admit that you're at war with God. And if you've never admitted that, chances are you don't have peace with God. You don't have Christmas peace. The peace that Luke and the angels are talking about. Let's think about a principle here for a minute. Principle is you can only genuinely receive a gift if you admit you need it. Okay? You can only genuinely receive a gift if you admit you need it. In other words, If you're having trouble gaining weight. Wait for it. If you're having trouble gaining weight and you're eating like crazy, you're trying to gain weight, you need to gain weight, you can't gain weight. Somebody gives you a Christmas present, you open it up, it's a huge book on dieting. What do you do with it? You put it back in the box and you think to yourself, I don't need this. Or if you have a full head of hair, and you open up a, a, a Christmas present on Christmas morning and it's Rogaine. What do you do? You put it back in the box. You say, I don't need this. On Christmas, Jesus brings the gift of peace with God. But in order for you to genuinely receive it, you have to admit you need it. You have to admit you're at war with God. Now, the reason most people don't have peace with God is because they don't realize they're at war. You might be sitting here today and I'm talking about this stuff and you're wondering, I don't think I'm at war with God. (laughs) Listen to this, Romans chapter eight, verse seven. The natural mind, okay, define that. That's the mind you were born with, okay? When you came out of the womb, that's the natural mind, okay? You've got one, I've got one. The natural mind is hostile towards God. Did you know that you were born that way? The natural mind is hostile toward God. It will not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. It's one of the most radical statements in the New Testament. It's a statement many people don't want to come to grips with because it's saying the primary and natural condition of your heart toward God is not one of ignorance so that your main need is education or information. And the natural condition is not one of indifference towards God, so that your main need is motivation. The natural condition of your mind and your heart, my mind and my heart, is hostility towards God. And so our main need is reconciliation. Did you catch all that? The main condition of your heart is not ignorance so you need information, or indifference so you need motivation. The main condition of your heart is hostility towards God so your main need is reconciliation. That's the basic fundamental attitude in our hearts towards God. Now many people think that they need help from God but they don't think they need peace with God. Many people think and you might be one of them you need guidance from God but you don't think you need peace with God. Somebody's probably thinking well I don't have any conscious hostility towards God. Well let me talk that one out with you. There's more than one way to express hostility towards God. The religious person we are often covert in asserting our independence from God. The religious person says, I'm gonna obey the Bible, I'm gonna do all these things, and now God has to bless me and give me a good life. You know what that is? That's an effort to control God, not trust him. When you obey God in order to earn his blessing, when you obey God in order to earn heaven, the reality is you're seeking to be your own savior. That is a hostile strategy and does not allow God to be your savior. So the first step toward getting peace, the peace you really need, peace with God, is admitting that you've been at war with God. Have you ever admitted that to him? Have you ever admitted that to him? Second step towards peace with God is turning from the things that characterize the war. Think about warfare and marriage for a minute. None of us have ever been there, right? Warfare in marriage What do you have to do to reconcile that? Well, there needs to be an admission of war. Somebody's got to say, look, things aren't right between us. Somebody's got to come out and say it. Things aren't right. Something's off. Something's not right here. Second, there has to be a turning away from the things that caused the war in the first place. Now one way you do that, one way you admit that to God, turning away from the things that caused the war in the first place, one way to do that is to say to God, not only have I done bad things, but even the good things I have done have been done to be my own savior and to assert my independence from my creator and redeemer. That is the good things I have done have been done to put God in my debt so he'll bless me and take me to heaven one day. That's warfare, you have to turn from it. It's asserting your independence. You have to turn from it. So you turn from it and you say, God, if even my good deeds have been done to assert my independence from you in order to be my own savior, then the only way I can be saved, rationally, the only way I can be saved is by sheer grace. That's it. If even the good things I have done have been done to put you in my debt in order to get you to take me to heaven one day and you see that as warfare, then what hope is there for me? Except to the come to the end of yourself and say, the only way is by sheer grace. The movie Get Low uh, is a story set in the 1930s. It's about a Tennessee hermit, Felix Bush, who's played by Robert Duvall. Um, he threw his own funeral party while he was still alive. And in a particularly poignant scene, Felix visits a local minister, the Reverend Gus Horton, requesting the pastor's help to arrange his funeral walks into the church and he sets down a wad of cash in front of the pastor and Felix declares it's time for me to get low when the pastor asks him what he means by that Felix replies down to business I need a funeral when the pastor asks who the funeral's for Felix says me understandably Reverend Horton's a bit bewildered by the request but Felix presses it further he says well what would you say about me? Oh, eulogy. Pastor says, well, I don't know. Uh, What would you want me to say? (laughs) Say what you would say to my face right now. That was Felix's answer. Pastor says, Mr. Bush, I don't know much about you. I've heard stories, but what stories, Felix demands. Stories, you know, people talk. What kind of stories, Felix insists. Well, sir, the reverend answers, my mother used to say gossip is the devil's radio. What matters is when you come to the end of your life that you're ready for the next one. Now, do you have peace with God, sir? That was his question. Felix's answer, I paid. He's referring to an incident that took place 40 years before this scene in the church. Felix had an affair with a married woman. When the woman's husband learned of the affair, the husband became enraged and ultimately murdered her. Felix blamed himself for her death and spent the next 40 years depriving himself of a wife and children. Instead, he lived alone, deep in the woods, cut off from community, all in a futile attempt to pay the debt of this transgression. Now for 40 years years later, after this long self-atonement project, he hopes that his debt has been paid. Reverend Horton wisely disagrees with Felix. He looks up at him and says, Mr. Bush, you can't buy peace with God. It's free. But you do have to ask for it. With that, Felix reaches down, grabs the wad of cash, and storms out of the church. God, if even my good deeds have been done to assert my independence from you in order for me to be my own savior, in order for me to try to merit peace with you, and the only way I can be saved is by sheer grace. But you do have to admit some things and you do have to ask for some things. But when you come to that place, when you've finally admitted the full extent of your resistance to the Lord's sovereignty, when you've come to the place where you've confessed that you can't save yourself, when you rest, in the gift that's been offered. When you rest in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, and you turn away from your old way of living, you've been gifted a peace that is not subject to degrees, that's perfect, absolute, and never ebbs or flows. That's finding the peace you really need. Do you have it? Let's pray. Gracious God, this holiday is more significant than we could ever imagine. Being at war with the creator of the universe, the one who gives us each breath we breathe and determines the number of our days is a frightening prospect. But in your goodness and grace, you have told us that we're at war with you. You haven't hidden that dark reality from us, and now we're positioned to hear what you have to say about it. And not only that, but you've told us how we can have peace with you. You've told us how each of us can experience a changed relationship with you. So I pray for the person in this room who may have realized for the first time in their life that they're at war with you. I pray that they would simply acknowledge that. I pray that they would turn from the things that have characterized their war with you, that they would stop asserting their independence from you, that they would confess to you not just the bad things they've done, but the good things they've done in order to control you and put you in their debt. I pray they would live in the acceptance that you grant us through the life Jesus lived and the death he died. I pray this Christmas would be the first among many where they live in the freedom of knowing they've been reconciled to you. God and sinners reconciled. There's no better hope for a bright future than that. We praise you for it. We thank you for it. We live for you because of it